life is hard. But have you noticed that the way that it is hard changes depending on your age situation and your current circumstances in your life? I remember when I was 18 years old and I went to college for the first time. Well, I guess that's how you would say it. That's the only time I went to college. But the time when I got there and everything changed in my life, that was a new circumstance. There was stress that came with that. And while it was something new and exciting, there was also this period of loss, of loss of my high school, a loss of a lot of my friends that moved away, went to different colleges. Even several years before that, when my family moved from Augusta, Georgia to Nashville, Tennessee, when I was 12 years old, it was exciting and we were ready to go as a family. And it was something we were all really happy to be able to do together, but there was still stress. There was still loss. And as we go through life in many different circumstances, maybe even being as young as five or six years old, we can experience these stressful situations that also are accompanied by this feeling of loss. But maybe we don't realize it as that because we're so used to thinking of loss in terms of losing a loved one, in terms of thinking about death. But loss can impact us in many ways. And in fact, there's this phrase that I'm sure you have heard talking about going through a midlife crisis. I hear it all of the time with either older friends that I have or or just people I work with at, at different situations and they talk about themselves or their spouse or someone they know going through a midlife crisis. And they're usually using that as a, a cover-up to try and say they're crazy right now. They've lost their minds and they're doing the weirdest things in the world. But is there something deeper that's going on underneath all of that? And is there even such thing as this quarter life crisis? And if so, what is it? What is the differentiation? How can you know if you're going through it and what can you do if you're in the middle of it? Or what can you do if you have a friend or family member in the middle of it? How can you be there for them? In this podcast, I interview David Matthews, who is a grief and loss expert. And while that doesn't sound exciting, he is one of the smartest and wisest people in terms of talking about these things, things like midlife crisis, quarter life crisis, loss, in a way that makes so much sense and brings to light what we as a society have tried to push down and it's made everything worse. So this is not going to be a depressing podcast. It's going to be very uplifting, very insightful. And I hope that you extract from this, no matter what your age some tactical things that you can start understanding about yourself, about the people around you, and about the future that you're going to have that will help you to to know how to approach these seasons of life that we go through with confidence instead of with cowardice as we move through this together. So get ready as we start this podcast with David Matthews. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others, and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. So David, one of the things that I have loved about being your friend is how 
amazingly, you speak about the different things. And I know you're, you know, a grief expert and what you do with Spark of Life is amazing. Um, but even just the way you have spoken about loss and what what loss really is and what it looks like has opened my eyes in so many ways. I was just saying on a um, on a call that I was doing a couple of days ago, how what I have learned from you, you probably won't believe this, but what I, it's true. But what I have learned from you is probably one of the most impactful things I've learned over the past five years of my life. Wow. Thank you. That's, that's an amazing (laughs) thing to say to me. (laughs) Thank you. It it, it just reshaped everything in my life and in my mind. And so one of the things that I wanted to talk about you to, with you about today is something that we hear a lot. You probably hear it a lot as well, uh-huh. which is even if it's not a question, people say it a lot, the, which is, you know, well, they're going through a midlife crisis or is my spouse going through a midlife yeah. crisis or am I going through a midlife crisis? And after I learned the way that you view loss and different things like that, I thought, you know, this puts this concept of midlife crisis kind of into a perspective. So I wanted to start with just asking you, what is a midlife crisis? How would you define that? All right. Well, the guy that started it was Elliot Jacks in 1957, a psychologist and a physician, and he coined the term midlife crisis. And it didn't catch on until about 1965, when another well-known psychologist heard him speak that, well, had his paper published. He had his uh, article published. And it turned out that Jax was describing himself. <laughs> he was 40 years old when he wrote <laughs> this. And uh, he basically, it's your own mortality comes into view much clearer. In other words, you're on the downside mm-hmm. of living. You're, you kind of reach that plateau. You, mm-hmm. You've lived probably more than half your life. In fact, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask Kimberly how old you are. Do you feel comfortable telling people how old you are? Yes, I just or turned not. 30. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 30. Years so I ago, hope right? that I'm not I hope that I'm not um halfway through my life. But when you said that and you no, said he was 40, I'm thinking that's just 10 years away from me being at that halfway no. point. No, no, no. It's closer than that. Do you know that if you're 37 or 38, more people in the United States are younger than you are at the age of 37.5, something like that, according oh, to all the no. stuff I've read. That means you've got seven years before you've hit the true midlife. Okay, you've got about seven years left. Okay. And and the funny oh. thing is midlife crisis is so, uh, it, it's that time of life where your own mortality is more real. You look, there about 26% of people in the United States have had a midlife crisis, according to some surveys. I've read as high as 53%, as low as 26%. You know how statistics go. And if Mm -hmm. you think about that, even in the one that said 26% of people admitted they've had a midlife crisis, most of those people had a big time event happen, like a loss that happened, Mm -hmm. such as divorce, or the kids move out of the house, or the kids move back in the house, right? Or you're raising <laughs> your own grandchildren. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's it's a sobering thing when you look back and you question, have I wasted my life? Have have I mm-hmm. have I been in the wrong profession? Uh, should I have been the play-by-play uh, announcer for Major League Baseball? That was my ambition. And I got sidetracked mm-hmm. into the ministry. Okay, so, I, you know, and mm-hmm. I look back and said, Wonder if I had stayed with my dream. I didn't accomplish my dream. 
And we can question mm-hmm. who we married. We can question our whole purpose in life. And uh, life becomes kind of boring sometimes, right? And But mm-hmm. usually it's associated with other events that we would classify as a loss. And it's funny, you know, what the Oxford English Dictionary defines midlife as between 45 and 65. The U.S. Census Bureau has, that used to had a category of midlife if you're between 45 and 65. I don't know who's doing the math, but they probably need psychiatric <laughs> help, right? Because because <laughs> 45 to 65, that's 90 to 130 life expectancy, right? Right. And the last I checked, if, if you live to be 135, you were in the Bible. You're a Bible character in the Old yeah, Testament. Right. That means you're, you're, you're dead. <laughs> so you really do have a crisis. <laughs> so it's so subjective, right? Um and the big question I think that I've read is, uh, is is there really such a thing as a midlife crisis? Because you can right. have the same crisis in midlife that you do at 30 or 70. And another interesting right. thing, and I, I do believe there's midlife crisis, right? But uh, another thing interesting, and I've, I got to read this. This is one research. If you're between 65 and 74, which I am, I was born in 1950 which means I will turn 70 in, in, for, for those of you who are givers of good gifts, June 2nd, June 2nd. All right, <laughs> when I turn 70, okay, I turn 70, 45, 51% of those 65 to 74 consider themselves either middle-aged or young, 51%. So mm-hmm. I say that to say you could have, quote, a midlife crisis when you're 65 years old. When you're 70 years old, most mm-hmm. people would call that an old life crisis, not, you know, a later life crisis. But now it's very real, but it's no time frame on it. That's what I'm saying. You're the reason I ask your age is not to make fun of you because I'm 40 years older than you are. It's to say that you could have a crisis and maybe you'd be called quarter life crisis or something, but it hardly mm-hmm. matters what you call it. Right. It happens. It, it happens because. I look, Victor Hugo said 40 is the old age of youth, 50 is the youth of old age. So you think about that. When you turn 40, you're going to think, oh, my goodness, now I'm old. I'm an old young person. When you turn 50, you're a young old person. That's what he said. But I think uh, this question of has my life been wasted, you know, and all this stuff comes into play. It can really lead to wild behavior. But it's not just because of your age. it, that has some factor in it, but I know people who are 30 years old that, that's lost their kids and their spouse and their parents and their siblings. Mm-hmm. You think they're having a 30-year-old crisis? Uh, mm-hmm. So it really has to do with the, the stuff that's happening in your life. But, it, but it's, very, it, it's very real. It's, I mean, as far – but I think one of the problems with labeling anything like that is if I expect it to happen, <laughs> let's say I'm – 40 years old, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little depressed because I've turned the big 4-0, but if I'm expecting a crisis to come, it, and then little normal things happen that, that get me down, and they might be lost, I, I might overreact to it. And instead of taking it and, mm-hmm. and admitting I'm, I'm, I'm stressed or de-stressed or depressed, and then deal with that loss, because you're right, it all goes back to losses, right? I've lost my childhood, mm-hmm. I've lost my innocence. My kids have moved out. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one uh, 
psychologist, uh, Eric Erickson is his name. And I studied him in graduate school. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he said there's eight crisis, major crisis periods that people go through in life. I, and he's smarter than I am. Let's face it. He's sold millions of books, I'm sure. He's, he's smart. But come on. Who says that you're going to have eight major crisis periods in life? My first crisis was in kindergarten when my mother left me there. That was a crisis. I cried all day. (laughs) Then I had a crisis going to junior high. Then I had a crisis. Acne invaded my body. Then I had a crisis trying to get a date. (laughs) Then I had a crisis of my girlfriend breaking up with me. Then I had a crisis of not doing my term paper, and it's due at 8 in the morning, and it's 10 at night. That's a crisis. And then our grandson died. That's a real crisis, Mm -hmm. right? I I can think of eight crises I had before the age of 30. So it really Mm -hmm. has to do with loss. And it has to do with, but is it somewhat true as we grow older? Yeah, I think it's somewhat true. Most people, if you interviewed them, would say that it's real. Midlife crisis is real. But ironically, most people don't have what they would call a midlife crisis. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. What are the things that would happen when people are going through this. So what are the things they would feel? What are the things they would experience that I guess, what are the symptoms, so to say of the midlife or quarter life or whenever it happens in life, what are the symptoms they go with it? I think it's coming, uh, first of all, uh, being a death, being more personal to me than it used to be. In other words, I see mm-hmm. my own mortality. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and let's face it, in this uh, COVID-19 crisis we're having around the world, mm-hmm. I think most people have come to grips a little bit more with their own mortality. Uh, and yeah. every funeral you go to, no matter what your age, you, it becomes more personal. Uh, you know, one of our friends mm-hmm. that works for Marriage Helper, you know, both his parents had that. My, my roommate in college, uh, one of my best friends, his youngest daughter came down with it and she's been in the hospital. So it becomes more personal. So when things become more personal to me, I tend to see my own mortality. So I, I examine my life. Have I really lived the way I need to live? If you're a faith person, am I really pleasing to God? I mean, time's running out. And so if, if let's say you, you live to be 75 to 80, and I really hope I break that. But I mean, if, if, if you're up at 40 years of age, you know that you have less time to live than you've lived. And so as you grow older, it becomes, I I start questioning my life. Did I marry the wrong person? What, you know, wonder if I didn't marry this person, it would leave me Mm -hmm. open and it wouldn't be the only factor, but it could certainly be a factor, one factor in having affairs. And uh, for men, you know, the old joke is they buy a red sports car. Well, I I would Mm -hmm. like a, a burnt orange sports car. I mean, but it doesn't matter the color, but it can lead to, to doing crazy stuff from the eyes of other people, but it could be very serious because my midlife uh, crisis, if you want to call it that, could almost give me an excuse to experiment and to hurt people. I mean, not that I would try to hurt people, but the decisions I right. make during it could really hurt people. It could hurt my kids, my wife, and things like that. So we need to recognize what we're going through, uh, mm-hmm. I think, as we go through it. And, and the other things would be uh, maybe feeling adventurous and wanting to do those things I haven't done before. And if it means, I mean, it could mean leaving my wife. It could mean be, being gone for a long time, uh, chasing my dreams, quitting my job, uh, 
thinking I've wasted my time in my career. I'm going to make my life count now. And so it could lead, but that wouldn't be the only factor of somebody breaking their marriage commitment, but it could certainly Mm -hmm. be one of the factors. Yeah. So -hmm. things like that. Wanting to make major changes. So if someone all of a sudden is just, I want to quit my job. I want to cut all my hair off. I want to do something crazy. Well, I was going to say that that could be very real. And I think most of what people do in a midlife crisis might be innocent. I mean, if you want to get a tattoo on your face at the age of 45, well, go for it. But I'm not going to do that. But you might regret it later. But that might be a harmless thing you do. But if you take all your retirement mm-hmm. out and and spend it on something stupid, it might hurt mm-hmm. you in the future. And, you know, and we always say at Marriage Helper, if you make decisions when you're really emotional about something, I mean, you're so mm-hmm. caught up in the emotion. It could have long-term effects, decisions I make, and I need to be careful not making these big decisions when I'm, I, I might be really depressed or I might be mm-hmm. so uh, thinking of my time on this earth is coming to a close. I might do something without thinking about the consequences. And, and that's why I think it's good to put any kind of crisis situation in context and, and expect it. And, and as you grow older, And, you know, a lot of studies have shown that people have a lot of discontent in life, their highest discontent. I I read an article the other day in USA Today about uh, between the ages of 43 and 52 that they Hmm. tend to have dissatisfaction with life for a while. But then but there's other studies that show when you get through that, actually, people can also uh, when they look back on their life saying that's the happiest time of my life. So a midlife crisis kind of situation could actually be flipped to something really positive, you know, something really positive, which is really what we need to do in any crisis situation. Give ourselves permission to feel what we feel. Don't fight against that. But don't do anything rash and stupid during that time. Uh, but, you know, if I come in one day and I did, I said, it was about 10 years ago. I said, Debbie, let's go on a cruise. We had a two week block. We literally, I said that on Thursday, by Saturday, we're in London, England, about to go on an 11-day cruise. Okay, that did not kill anybody. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I was feeling really kind of useless and and burned out and all all that above. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a Mm -hmm. midlife crisis, but it's saying, you know what? Life's short. Yeah, I'm on the downhill as far as years are concerned. That doesn't mean I'm full Mm -hmm. of gloom and doom, but I have the right to be concerned about that. I have the right to self-evaluate, to look at my life, to say, is it really, ma- does it matter? I have a right mm-hmm. to say, I need to make some changes. Now, I'm a God person. I, I want to be right with God. Am I really living mm-hmm. for God? That sort of thing. Uh, and I think this COVID-19 thing is really, can be really positive. I know it's negative and terrible, and mm-hmm. we hate that anybody's dying from sure. this and the economic disaster. Sure. But but how do we deal with this? We, we, we say, okay, what What's good about this that I can I can do my part and, and then grow through this and, and not digress. So it's kind of Absolutely. the same thing of midlife. Do you think that when people are going through this, these feelings, this midlife crisis, that they yeah. if they try and stifle it down or just push through it without really letting themselves feel these things or letting themselves 
take action in those positive ways you were talking about, if they just keep, you know, trying to press forward and and not buying the car they want or not going on the trip they want to go on. And they're just, do you think that makes it worse? Kind of like a pressure cooker waiting to explode. I, I really do because it is a thing of loss. You know, grief is the end of or a change in a familiar pattern of behavior and it's normal and natural. And uh, you just take, uh, you take the kids growing up and going off to college. You know, there's part of me that says, yay, who? They're gone. Okay. Part of me cries. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through a really dark time when we took our oldest two to, to college. It, it took the, our oldest son. I cried coming back. Took the, our, our mm-hmm. oldest daughter two years later. I was down in the dumps. Um, uh, so I needed to express that in a safe place with my wife and she didn't need to try to fix me. And that's, that's the whole philosophy of our grief work to give voice to my pain, give voice to my feelings. I'm not crazy. I'm not weak. I'm not weak in faith, even though I might feel weak in faith and, Mm. and, and get that out in a healthy way, not, uh, two months later, if I've stuffed it and I, I come home and Debbie says something very innocent and I snap at her and I hurt her or I, I, I barge out the door and she doesn't know why. See, that can hurt people. And so right. expressing how I feel is always the best way. And it doesn't make you less of a man if you're a man out there. I, I need to voice my pain when it's real pain. Now, sometimes I need to just buck up and go with it. But those are not those are maybe, day, you know, if my ball club loses, my ball team loses. Okay, buck up, right? Mm-hmm. But if, I, if I've been laid off from my job or I've lost my job because of this virus uh, and we don't know where the money's coming from, I, that's pain and mm-hmm. that's loss. That's real loss. We're all going through loss right now. Everybody in the world is going through loss. Mm-hmm. I, I ran across my neighbor mm-hmm. yesterday. I, I was walking. I was coming back. She came out on the patio. Hey, David, how are you? And I said, fine. Of course, we were like 40 feet away. And I said, do <laughs> As you, you miss the hugs? Do you miss the hugs? And she, cause she's yeah. a hugger. I'm a hugger. And she said, yeah, I really miss all my hugs. I said, I do too. And that's, that's little, but mm-hmm. you know, this is a change. I'm a people person. And it, so it's, it's mm-hmm. good to admit it. It's good to share those feelings, whatever it is about it. You want to get to right. quarter life or do you have any other questions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're just, yeah. Well, you kind of talked about quarter life, but if you had anything to add to it, I mean, is it different? I think it's basically the same. Uh, it's yeah. different because quarter life is defined as by a lot of people as when somebody leaves home, you're in your early twenties, like in your 20, oh, 18 yeah. to 30 uh, you leave home and and I was reading all this stuff about quarter life because I had not heard much about it. Uh, right. It, anxiety. It, it's stress. Crisis. Some mm-hmm. people might really have a crisis, but I don't like the word crisis to describe all this. I think it's life and it's stress, high stress. Now, some people have a real crisis, obviously. Mm-hmm. When our youngest daughter went right. off, uh, she graduated from college. She went to uh, South Carolina away from home living on her own, had a boyfriend trying to figure that out. That didn't work out well. She had to get a job. She, she lived all alone. She got a dog. She had never lived alone. Uh, she did not like her job. She questioned whether she majored in the right thing in college. Mm-hmm. She majored in marketing. 
She was in a marketing job. She she just didn't like it. I think she was in a mini crisis. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that would be a quarter life crisis. And, and what's so ironic is mm-hmm. uh, all these students now have student loan who graduate from college. They, they, they're in debt when they graduate. They uh, many uh, have romantic or relationship issues that are unresolved. And so they have some of the same evaluation as a midlife crisis. Like, did I major in the right thing? Have I gone into the wrong career? Am I dating the right person? Now that we're familiar with each other, he doesn't treat me very well and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I, they're mm-hmm. on their own for the first time. So it can be very disheartening and, and very high in stress. And, and what's so funny is a lot of, of these young people come back and live with their parents, which unbeknownst mm-hmm. to them has helps lead their parents to midlife crisis when they come back <laughs> and live at home. Now the parents have midlife crisis. Yeah. And the kids have quarter life crisis. So I, there's a lot of truth to it again, but I think it's basically the same. It's a little different, but in this day and age, I think it makes it, uh, we probably have more quarter, you know, back in my father's generation, what did people do? They, they, they graduated from high school. If he was lucky, he went out and worked. He supported his mm-hmm. family. He got drafted and went to World War right. II. He didn't complain. Right. He went to work every day. Mm-hmm. We live in a different society. There's no doubt about it being different. And so I think oh, it absolutely. leads to a lot of this. Yeah. A lot mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. Because even with, you know, 50 years ago, when people, like you said, if they graduated, they still probably went and worked in a profession, especially the men that they were probably working in before they graduated from high school. And so, right. you know, those trades and vocations were, they kind of knew what they wanted to do. Whereas I could totally see with, because what we were saying about midlife crisis was there's this thought of, did I do the thing that, that I should have done that I, you know, set out to do as my life and what I, what it looked like. But even in the quarter life, it's, it's still that, did I study the thing I should have? Did I marry the right person? Did I choose the right thing? Because in our society, you just, we're just kind of left to choose, and we just kind of hope that that it's the right choice. I remember, and I could see myself in so many of those examples, when I got married at 21, I had just turned 21 years old. Immediately, we moved two weeks later, halfway across the world to Korea. And so talk about quarter life crisis. Wow. I wasn't even quarter yeah, life yet. You had it. And I didn't know anyone. I, my husband and I, dated long distance. So we went from being mostly apart to now being the only two people either of us knew and never being able to separate. And so all of the things like, did I marry the right person? Did I make a mistake moving to Korea? What have I done? Right? Like all of these things just piled on. And it was, I went into depression, you know, and it was, it was difficult, but it wasn't life ending. Like I can definitely see how people in that scenario I would have been in could have been like, you know, I'm divorcing him. I'm moving back. Like it's too much, but there's something about hanging on through it. Like you were saying earlier. Yeah. It, it, a a psychologist named Alex Falk said it's a period of insecurity, doubt, disappointment Mm -hmm. surrounding your career relationships and finances. And you just described Mm -hmm. all of those. And what happened to mm-hmm. you, right? 
uh, yeah. you you question everything. And I think yep. it is good to hang on, you know, this too shall pass. Right. And, and, right. and that's why we say a lot of times commitment is one of the strongest components of a strong family. It's commitment because mm-hmm. I don't it doesn't mean you feel like being committed. Commitment is not right. an emotion. It's a decision. It's a decision you make. Hang in there. This, too, will pass. It's it's very normal mm-hmm. what you're going through. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I do think that's that's really important. And finding the people in your life you can f- have a support system with. Is that one of the keys to getting yeah. through these times, these periods? You know, we're we're built for community. We're created for community. Uh, if you think of mm-hmm. I can use a biblical illustration. Adam had God in the garden and it, God said it wasn't good. So when somebody says, oh, well, it's God and me is enough. Well, yes. But Adam had God, had no taxes, had no ball clubs that broke his heart and lost, had no COVID-19, had no yeah. no uh, lawyers in his life for all you attorneys, had no problems, except he was lonely. And, and wow. when I saw that one day, even God was not enough for Adam, even God. And, and God saw that and he created, obviously, his wife out of Adam. So Adam would have a, a, you know, would be complete. And so this, we need, I say that to say, we need touch. We need people in our lives. And so yes, mm-hmm. to find somebody to share your frustrations, your heartaches, your disappointments, your fears without being judged or condemned, just listen to, I think it's a huge mm-hmm. deal in, in any kind of loss. Look what you had lost mm-hmm. when you went to Korea. You lost a a lot. Mm-hmm. You had lots of losses there away from your sisters, mm-hmm. your, your mom and dad, your friends, your environment, mm-hmm. where you grew up, uh, your security and, and mm-hmm. Rob. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, and I love Rob, but it didn't have much to do with Rob in a way. Right. You could have had the perfect right. man. Absolutely. You know, who doesn't exist. Right. You could because Adam had God and it wasn't enough. He was lonely. So, yeah, we need people. We need people. We need at least somebody I can share with. I think that's why, you know, it's just like coaching that we do coaching. People need somebody to dump on. And when people when I'm when I'm in my coaching through Marriage Helper, I said it last week about four straight coaching sessions. It's they they kept apologizing for being so emotional. I said, hey, you be as emotional as you want. I'm here. You can dump. Mm -hmm. You can dump. And it's safe. And uh, I didn't even think uh, I didn't know coaching would work so well over the phone, but it does. It works. I think people feel safe. You know, they can dump right. emotions and, and and I don't try to fix them. And it's it's amazing what happens immediately after they dump. They get better. It's just. But yeah. Yes. I think that's a key point. Key point. And by the way, it happens in marriage helper workshops. Right. Yeah. All the time. So are there any kind of common losses that, and I'm not so, not so much asking for, you know, the listeners to be worried about what might be coming up, but more so thinking about if we look at the people that we're friends with or family members we have, you know, how can we be looking towards them and saying, what might they be experiencing and going through that I could be more aware of to be there for them for, 
Um, so are there any, you know, we've talked about like being 20 years old, going to college, that could be a loss. Leaving college can be a loss. Losing a job, getting married can even be considered a loss. Having a kid could be considered a loss. When we came home with our two kids from India, it was what I had prayed for, wanted, yearned for, cried for everything. And I will never forget the second day that we were home. I, it was like this train hit me and I was like, what have we done? And it was just this sense of like, nothing is ever going to be the same. It will never just be me and Rob again. It will net life as we knew it for 10 years, just the two of us never again. And I felt like a terrible mom. But then now when I look back at it, it's like, it was normal for me to feel that way. I did not love them, but I was also mourning the loss of what life had been before that. Exactly. And I, I, I think the big key is to recognize these things as losses. And I need to recognize it. If I'm not going through it, Debbie might be going through it. So when she has a bad day or moment or whatever, um, and, and did quite recently, um, I'm finally learning to experience, expect that happens in everybody's life and mm-hmm. there's a reason for it and 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 it's some kind of loss going on right and right. it helps if i if i understand what that is but I, I think i said this on our last time we talked everybody's got a story that makes sense of the nonsense and if i don't know the story i assume there is a story so when somebody exhibits mm-hmm. like what you did, if, if we were friends, that well, we were friends then, but we weren't around each other that much because you were with your kids. But if you came mm-hmm. into work and we worked together and you were down, I just need to assume that you're experiencing a lot of loss of change in a familiar pattern of behavior having these kids come in, right? And and mm-hmm. so looking for, it would help if 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 my kids understood what Debbie and I were going through when we had that empty nest and we call home, we call them too much, for example. Instead of them getting irritated at us, maybe they can understand we're going through a loss. Right. And especially in a right. marriage relationship too, understanding each other, uh, whatever's happening. And not assume something's wrong with them. And, and like you, you thought something was wrong with you, like you're a terrible mother. Well, you're mm-hmm. not a terrible mother. You're a great mom. And, and yet you felt that for a while. Like what's wrong with me? If I was more loving or more faithful to God, maybe I, I wouldn't feel this way. And those, those are things we deal with all the time in our grief work and, and, and in our marriage work. It, it's so common. I don't know if I answered your question because it's, it's a tough question. But Yeah, and, it, well, and it, there's so much. It's very different and specific for, for people. The key is to just be aware, not only of ourselves and what we might be going through, the feelings that we're feeling, but being aware of others, the people in our lives, you know, if they're short or on edge, then instead of getting defensive and yelling back at them, just taking a moment to think, you know, what, what, what are they going through? Is there a loss that they're experiencing? You know, what are the things that, that could be affecting them today? Because Uh it's, life isn't easy. It's hard. Well, it's hard. And I just go back to that second definition of loss that really helped me. It's a change of or an end to a, a familiar pattern of behavior. And uh, so so when I have this pattern of behavior over over time and then it's it stops or it's interrupted, that 
loss is not just death losses. Most of us are aware mm-hmm. that if somebody loses a child or a spouse or a sibling, you know, we're hopefully we're understanding at that. That's easy to see. It's those non-death losses that really get us, you know. Um, a friend of mine had tickets to the Masters Golf Tournament this year. It's his lifetime dream to go, and it got canceled. And now it's, it's moved to November. But there, And somebody says, well, you should be, you know, that's just a golf tournament. Well, maybe it wasn't just a golf tournament to him. Maybe it was it was something to do with his father and something to do with family and, and a lifetime dream. And those things seem superficial on the outside, but it might have a story behind it. And he has, does he have a right to feel sad? He's not going to go to the masters. And the answer is yes, he does. That doesn't mean he's selfish and it doesn't mean he's not concerned about those who are dying from this disease. Uh, And I think just giving people space to have their, their emotions, uh, Mm. you know, instead of judging them or anything else like that, just accept, accept and be there, be there for them. Yeah. Well, my final question, David, is how can we, when we have experienced loss, how do we begin to move forward from it? It's, it I sound like a broken record. Okay. I think mm-hmm. we accept it as loss, as loss, uh, and that we're not crazy. Uh, we had, you know, we've, we've done an online course for Spark of Life for our online retreat experience now. Yeah. And you've helped us push that, right? So we had a lady sign up for the online course, and she was hopeless. She just felt hopeless. She wrote me and said these words. She said, David, the first 30 minutes of the course gave me hope I thought I'd never have. First 30 minutes. What is the first 30 minutes? The first 30 minutes is you're not crazy. You're grieving. Hmm. Hmm. It's normal. No matter what you're feeling, it's normal. Give yourself permission to have those feelings and don't fight against it. Let them be. Express them to somebody safe. But but realize that you haven't lost your faith, even though you feel like it. You haven't. You're not crazy. You don't need to be fixed. One of the first things we say is we are not here to fix you for you do not need to be fixed. You need to grieve. The only cure. The only cure for grief is to grieve. That's it. It's to grieve. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't try to stop grieving. That does not mean you don't have uh, you shouldn't get up and do something. But when I give myself right. permission to grieve, I also give myself permission to recover. I do not have to stay dysfunctional. I, with my grief and pain, I can still get up and be productive. But I can take as much time as I need to grieve. But I don't want to stay stuck in that grief. At the same breath, I can give myself permission to 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 laugh. Uh, have you laughed during this COVID nineteen disaster we're experiencing? Oh. Have you laughed? Yes, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Well, we got to laugh. It's okay. We laugh at our retreats all the time. We we got to yeah. laugh. And the other thing is this other thing, like for midlife crisis, or as we grow older. Why don't you flip it from something that's so destructive to something that's so opportunistic, right? Mm-hmm. That I can actually, what, what good has come from the COVID-19 in your life, Kimberly? Anything good? Oh my gosh, so much good. In fact, it it's I sometimes I can feel guilty even talking about it because I know other people may not be having the same experiences. Yeah. But for me, it has been like a breath 
of fresh air. I have recharged. I've spent more time with my children. The things that were filling my schedule that now I realize didn't matter, they're not there. And I feel like I've been more intentional and more present and less stressed. And I'm, I am living my best life, David Matthews. I am living my best life. And that's not to say you're insensitive (laughs) to the pain of other people, right? Yeah, yeah. there's still fear. There's a guy that lives in the same building we live in. We've become real good friends since we moved here. His Mm -hmm. wife's in a, uh, she has uh, Parkinson's disease, uh, real advanced. Uh, She went to a, uh, a rehab facility while he had hip replacement surgery. And now she's going downhill and she's been put in a, in a nursing home and she could die at any minute and he can't go see her. Right. Uh, He can't go see her. And I was walking the other day and he was out on his patio and he called me over and he said, I put the chair six feet away. You can come and sit. So I sat and uh, we laughed and then we cried and then we laughed and then we cried. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so you can do both. I mean, we are sensitive to those people. There's so many ramifications that are negative, but there's so much good too. So in the midst of a crisis, whether it's personal, national, worldly, that affects people personally, I can find that good that's there and, and, and grow. Uh, some people need to change their jobs when they're 50. Some people need to change their careers. Some people who are 20, my, my daughters, uh, you know, Kelly went through that quarter life crisis many crises when she moved and she didn't know what to do. She got out of what she was doing and she's doing what she wants to do right now. So she did make some changes in there and, and she's better for it. So when you have a crisis situation, Mm -hmm. permission to feel bad, permission to grieve, permission to recover, which you're, you just explained you, you've actually grown during this time. We can all grow even Mm -hmm. with the losses that, that are around Mm -hmm. us. And that doesn't make us uh, insensitive people at all. In fact, I, to be honest, I don't think I'd go back to being 30. I mean, I'm almost mm-hmm. 70. Uh, my wife and I are in a position that we're doing our aspirations. And I think that's what I'd like to end with is aspirations. Uh, I have to have a reason mm-hmm. to get up in the morning, and no matter what situation I'm in. So I can take time not to get up for a while when I'm grieving. But then I can say, you know what, what can I do with this situation that I can utilize my talents, my gifts, my opportunities to do something positive here? And and I wouldn't change what Debbie and I are doing now for anything in this world. Uh, I don't want to go back to being 40, 50 or even 60. Uh, hmm. No, I don't want to die physically. But, you know, the older you get, the less scary it becomes in a way. OK, and. Hmm. And I, I think we've got to do that with any situation we're in in life. Even if my spouse leaves me uh, or even when we have death losses that just devastate us, we still can live forward, moving forward by following that. It's not simple and it's difficult. Permission to grieve, permission to recover, getting up and and finding meaning in life again. You know, given my situation, my age, my education, my gifts, my talents, my opportunities, and then say, I'm going to go forward and move forward with this. And I think that that's just a great recipe for living, right? In the midst of all this pain that's going on. Absolutely. It is. 
Well, David, tell our audience more about what you do and where they can find you, follow you, and know more about the amazing things that you do. Well, uh, we're very humbled to do what we do with both Marriage Helper and Spark of Life. Spark of Life, Debbie and I founded about uh, 12 years ago, I guess now, 10 or 11 years ago. And we do grief work. Uh, We help people in grief who have experienced loss to live forward with hope. Our our mission Mm -hmm. statement is to live forward with hope. And many of the concepts we talked about today, we talk about all the time. And it's Mm sparkoflife.org. And we we do three-day retreats. We've done 105 retreats where people actually come to a location. Obviously, we can't do that right now. So we've had to postpone about three or four retreats and move them forward. In the meantime, Mm -hmm. we put together an online course that you've helped promote. We've had great reviews from it. We've had great response from people that have taken it. It's online. You can find out that everything we do at a retreat, we do with our online course. And plus, we give Mm -hmm. three coaching sessions with a real live human being who's a grief recovery Mm -hmm. coach trained by Spark of Life. And these coaches are telling us they are loving what they're doing because they're stuck at home. But they are (laughs) interacting with these people and they're so excited. And I can only tell you the coaches we have, much like Marriage Helper, uh, they're the salt of the earth people. They care about people. They're not in it for the money. They're in it to help people because each one of our coaches have had excruciating losses in their life. And they are great examples of not quitting, not giving up and living forward with the pain they have. Their life will never be the same after their losses but their life is good and it's full of joy with the pain that they carry from their losses. So sparkalife.org, we'd love to see it at retreat someday, but until we can do that again, we have the online, online grief recovery retreat. We call it an experience. Go online, sign up for it. And yep. it's a special, you know, we're hundred dollars off the normal price during this crisis that we're in as a country. And we want to make it possible for people to take the course. Uh, so that's what Absolutely. we did. Yeah. So thanks Absolutely. for playing it. I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. I believe in it. What you and your wife, Debbie, do is just fantastic. And I love it. So be sure to go to sparkoflife.org. You can see all of the things they're doing there. And that course with the coaching sessions is incredible. It's incredible. Thanks. Thanks. And Marriage Helper is incredible. Thank uh, you. Just love marriage helpers. So what y'all do? So, of course. Here are the key pies takeaways from today's episode with David Matthews. First is loss precedes crisis. Be mindful of that. But typically before someone enters into what we would call a midlife crisis, there's some type of loss that's happened, whether it's the loss of a dream, the loss of an expectation, the loss of a friend or family member, the loss of a job, the loss of just a sense of identity. Loss comes in many different shapes and sizes, forms and figures, and it doesn't always look like grief. It can look like many different things. Even loss of a schedule, loss of a daily pattern of life can lead to changes. And what happens around this midlife crisis is that 
people begin to realize that maybe they lost their identity or they lost their purpose in life and they haven't fulfilled what they needed. When you keep this in mind, it puts into perspective what might actually be going on when someone is going through this quote unquote midlife crisis. The second key takeaway is that there are different types of loss or stress that surround different times in life. Like we talked about, this quarter life crisis is identified more about what do I do? You know, loss of youth, loss of that feeling of what happened in high school, loss of even the freedom to not have to make as many choices, and then being inundated with the stress of what the quote unquote real world looks like. Being an adult, having to make big decisions without maybe even necessarily being prepared for those. So be aware that depending on where someone is in their life, their age, their situation, and their stage in life is going to make a difference into how they are affected by the things that are happening to them. And the third key takeaway is take notice of the people around you and reach out. It can be easy to judge people based on their actions when we don't know what they're dealing with inside. Instead of going to that place of judgment or gossip or trying to put your own expectations onto someone else of how you think they should be handling things, go and speak to them, ask them how you can help them, what you can do for them, or even just ask them how they are. That can make the biggest difference in someone. And instead of trying to put your expectations or say what you would do if if you were in their situation, take a deep breath and just be a friend. Those are the key pies takeaways for this episode. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to go and subscribe to this podcast and leave an honest review. I love to hear from you guys. So be sure to go and do that. And it will also help more people find the podcast as well. You can always find out more information by going to itstartswithattraction.com for show notes, for updates, and to join the email list so that every Friday you can get an encouraging email that specifically tells you what you can do to work on your pies so that you can become the best that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Until next week, keep working on your pies and stay strong. Thank you.